for doing that. Hey, I'm glad that you are uh, here this morning. I want to uh, start off by asking you a question. <clears throat> I have a question for you this morning. Uh, first of all, look at the person next to you and say, Happy Easter. Say, Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Yeah, there you go. It's good. Hey, we're going to, uh, we're going to dismiss all of the children that uh, uh, can make their way down there uh, four years old to fourth grade. If you guys want to head to uh, uh, youth church, it's going to be down in the gym today to accommodate uh, the extra kids. And there's a nursery that's available for children that are under four years old. Nursery available for kids under four years old, and then four years old through fourth grade, they can make your way down to youth church. Look at them go. All of a sudden, all the parents are like, yeah, a little more wiggle room, right? <clears throat> so, And there they go. Okay, are you ready? Here's the question. <clears throat> Here's the question this morning. How do you maintain hope in a world that seems at times hopelessly broken. Think about it. How do you maintain hope in a world that seems at times hopelessly broken? I don't know if you guys ever watch the news in the morning. You ever get up and watch any of the, the Today Show or Good Morning America or anything like that. And there's just kinds of uh, this constant assault on things are wrong and things are broken. And it's very, very hard because uh, we just came through a pandemic. Anybody survived the pandemic? Uh, some of you did. Some of you did. Some of you survived the pandemic. And uh, we came through that thing, and, and it looked like, okay, it's going to wind down. And so we kind of were hopeful that it was going uh, to wind down. We watched the economy kind of go down when uh, that was going on. And about the time that the pandemic uh, starts to go away, then Putin invades uh, Ukraine, right? And then all of a sudden, everybody's going, oh, no, why? This is not a time for a war. There's never a good time for a war. And, and then the gas prices kind of skyrocket up, and it just seems like things are broken, 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 broken all the time. We look around. There's natural disasters that take place and tornadoes that are going on all around. And, and the uh, inflation seems to be out of control. There is uh, the puzzling job market. Anybody experiencing any the puzzling job market that's going on? And and then there's, um, I don't know if you guys realize this or pay any attention to this, but there seems to be a never-ending uh, political and social unrest. Any, any, have you noticed any of that? It's out there, right? And then there's uh, all kinds of crazy things that are, are going on around the world, and there's political and there's social unrest, and then uh, there's the never-ending culture war that's going on, and, and all it takes is one wrong tweet to find out that you're on the right side or the wrong side of the culture war, and, and all of these things are, are just kind of broken, and, and they're broken, and so the question becomes, how do you maintain hope in a world that seems at times hopelessly broken? It seems unstable. It seems unsolid. It seems broken. And so where do you find hope? Well, this morning, I would, I'd, like to define, I'd like to define hope for you this morning, and I'm going to do that. Uh, Junior, I'm going to ask you to turn on those choir lights over there. And I um, want to put together a definition of hope. Yeah, yeah well, save the planet, right? <clears throat> They're plastic. Um, this is a definition of hope. <laughs> Looks like hope, right? Um, a definition of hope. 
Here's our definition of hope. Write this down. Hope is the person or the thing in which your future is centered. Hope is the person or the thing in which your future is centered. It kind of represents the ladder of our life. You know, the, the American dream is that we grow and uh, we get older and we sort of advance and move up along the way in life. And so uh, we sort of lean the ladder of our life, of the future, into something. There's a person or a thing that we lean the ladder of our life into, and it sort of represents hope. And, and so maybe, maybe you remember, maybe when you were a kid, maybe the kind of thing was... Um, did your parents ever tell you to get a good one of these? They ever tell you to get, make sure you get a good education, right? You got to get a good education because your future depends on having a good education, right? And so you want to get good grades and, and you want to get good grades because then that'll allow you to get into the right college. And then um, when you get in the right college and uh, you get a, a master's degree and you want to make sure you want to get a good education, right? That's foundational it is stable. It is solid. And everybody knows that uh, the person that gets the master's degree is going to make more money than the person that didn't uh, graduate from high school, right? And so your parents tell you, make sure you get a good education. It's solid. It's foundational. And you can lean the ladder of your life into getting a good education. But maybe while you were busy getting a good education in high school or whatever, maybe your peers had a different idea. And because they were trying to convince you that you want to make sure that your image, uh, your appearance, uh, your physical stature, uh, that is really uh, where you want to, uh, that's solid. You, you'll know that you are popular and that you are cool or uh, you, everybody likes you. You'll get more social media hits when you, when you put all of these things in place. So you have to have uh, the right clothes and maybe you were involved in sports and so you wanted to be uh, the fastest one. You wanted to be the one that could jump the highest. You wanted, you wanted a good physical condition and good appearance and you wanted to manage your image well so that everybody would like you because uh, when you're young, everybody needs to like you. And when everybody likes you, uh, then you know that your future is bright, right? And so you kind of lean the ladder of your life uh, into those things. Well, uh, maybe you grow up a little bit and you move through life and and uh, then that good education begins to pay off, right? And, and that networking begins to pay off because then you get, everybody knows, you have, if you're going to be successful in life, uh, if your future is going to be bright, you need to have a good career, right? That's what you have to have. And so you, you make sure you go to the right college or you, you go into the right trade school in order to get the right career. And you want to make sure your career's got good health insurance and it's got a good 401k so that your future is secure. And so you work on these things because this is solid and that's where, uh, that's, that's the way you want to, the American dream, you want to do life this way not just about career because we want to make sure that along the way we have these right good relationships life is not about money life is about people it's about uh, experiencing people along your journey and when you're young it's about uh, the right girlfriend or the right uh, boyfriend and then that relationship uh, becomes having uh, the right person that might be your spouse right and it's networking, and uh, you're just sort of looking at, you want to, at work, you want to network well, so that uh, you, all of these relationships in your life help you, and so you, you work on those relationships. 
Nope. Lean the ladder of your life, your future, on these things and these people. But it's not just relationships. There are some relationships that are clearly more important than others, right? And uh, I, I'm so excited uh, because next month, next month, uh, my only grandson, my only grandchild, my grandson is going to be one year old. And uh, when I was young, when I was young, you know, I didn't really care about, you know, waiting to be a grandpa. But now that I am a grandpa, it's kind of fun, right? And uh, my only son, Tyler Allison, and uh, he's my son. And so he's carried the name from me. And now Cooper Allison is going to, and so the, the family name is going to continue. And everybody knows you, you invest in family. You invest in family is the most important thing that you have in your life. And so uh, you pour your life into raising productive, kind, civic-minded kids. And so life is really about family. And so you pour your life. And so this one's bad to be short. And so you lean the ladder of your life. That's your future. That's your future. All of these things are very important, but we really know that uh, one thing you can't do without, Money. Money, money, you just got to have money. Money makes a lot of problems go away. If you have a lot of money, a lot of problems can go away. And, and so, oh, yeah, here we go. That's it. Life insurance is paid up. There we go. Money. Everybody wants to have a lot of money. Life's better. Life's better with money. And uh, so we... Everybody knows if you do these things well, your future is going to be right. That's the American dream. So you lean the ladder of your life into these things. That's great. You have hope for the future. Right up until these things begin to fail. And that education that you received 10 years ago in technology, probably not a lot of good there. And your appearance and your health, they tell me it goes away after time. <laughs> and your career, anybody ever get the pink slip? Anybody ever been laid off? Anybody ever been told your services are no longer needed here? You ever been stabbed in the back by somebody you thought you could really trust and you gave them so much and they turned right back around and it seems like I thought that relationship was important to both of us and I found out it's really not important to them at all. You ever have a family member and there's a divorce, and all of a sudden family gets really wonky and really shady and really scary, but family's supposed to be the most important thing. And then there's money. Steve Jobs, the founder and creator of Apple, right? He had billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars, and none of it meant a thing when the doctor called and said, you have terminal cancer. When these things are unstable, 
when these things are not solid, we begin to lose hope. And things might seem to feel hopeless. Write that down. When these fail, we begin to lose hope. You're in church this morning. I don't know if you knew that or not, but you are, so you got that going for you. Uh, you're in church this morning, and uh, when, you, when, you, when you teach Sunday school or you're around church kids a lot, um, you, you can, we find this out at Kids Club. You, uh, we'll ask them a question. A lot of times, uh, some of the little ones, they, they won't even really understand the question, but they'll raise their hand and, and say, say the answer. You know, say, If you know the answer, raise your hand, and they'll just look at you and say, Jesus, right? Because in church, Jesus is always uh, the answer, right? Jesus is, or the Bible. Jesus or the Bible is always the answer. And so uh, I, want, I want to tell you about a guy I want to tell you about a guy that uh, leaned the ladder of his life fully and completely and totally into Jesus. I want to tell you about a guy. I want to tell you about a guy. Listen, I want to, I want to look at a guy that had his hope in Jesus and it failed him. It did not work. In fact, this guy was a Christ follower and did everything Jesus told him to do and found himself in such a state of hopelessness that when his back was against the wall and people came around him and tried to push him closer to Jesus and connect him to Jesus, he would have nothing to do with it, and he ran and he hid and he tried to get away from Jesus as fast as he possibly could. This guy was one of Jesus' disciples. This guy later became known as the Apostle Peter. Do you know the story of the Apostle Peter? Uh, the story is, is that one day he was out and about and Jesus comes along and Jesus says, I want you to follow me. And he says, okay, I'll follow you. And uh, for three years, Peter follows Jesus around with the other disciples. And he gets very close to Jesus. And as, as he's watching and observing and paying attention to Jesus, he is watching as Jesus has supernatural authority and supernatural power because Jesus had the ability uh, to make the mute uh, speak and the deaf hear and the blind to see. And, and those with leprosy, he could touch them and, and all of a sudden their leprosy would be gone and he had the power to raise people from the dead. And while he was there uh, spending time with Peter along the way and teaching him, he communicated to, to Peter on three different occasions. Uh, Peter, there's something I want you to know. Peter, there's something I want, you, I want you to know that I am alive now and you can see me. I want you to know that I am going to die and I'm going to be in a grave for three days. I want you to know that, but then on the third day, I'm going to raise again. And Peter's like, oh, okay, yeah, okay, okay, you know. And he had heard it, but he was there with Jesus and he was learning from him and he was getting closer to Jesus and more involved with Jesus and he was beginning to lean the ladder of his life more and more and more into Jesus. And then came that last night that Jesus was going to be a part of his earthly ministry as we know it here on earth. And the day comes when Jesus calls all of the disciples into that famous upper room and they have the last supper. And Jesus is there with the disciples and 
he teaches them that what you're going to want to do in life is serve people, and he washes their feet and says, you're going to want to serve people the way I serve people, and they're kind of scratching their head because they're still thinking Jesus has so much power. And then they remember just a week ago on Palm Sunday, Jesus made this triumphal entry into the city, and the whole city was excited about Jesus. So surely he was going to become the king like King David was the king of, of Jerusalem back in the day. He's going to rise up, and he's going to be this great leader. And Jesus is there washing their feet, and he communicates to them, I care about you guys. And I want you to remember me. I want you to participate in communion and remember me. And then this kind of conversation takes off amongst the disciples that are there. And they start to argue about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And, and then Peter. He's thinking he's going to be a pretty big deal. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, something you need to know. Before the sun comes up tomorrow, before the sun comes up tomorrow, before the rooster crows in the morning, you are going to deny that you even know me. You're going to deny it three times. And Peter was offended. And he says, there's no way I will die for you, Jesus. And Jesus just looks at Peter and he's Jesus. He knew. Sure enough, they had the Last Supper in the upper room, and later that night they made their way off into the Garden of Gethsemane, and the disciples are praying, and Jesus is sweating drops of blood because he knows what he's about to go through, and the disciples are praying for Jesus, and then they fall asleep. And then sure enough, Judas had made himself away from the, uh, the Last Supper, and he goes off and he rounds up the crowd that is going to betray, uh, is going to arrest Jesus, and he brings uh, the mob, the angry mob, and they've all uh, there, and they're ready to take on Jesus. And uh, Judas leads him into the Garden of Gethsemane, and they say, uh, is this the guy? And Jesus goes, uh, Judas goes over and betrays Jesus uh, with a kiss. And, and uh, sure enough, they, they, they grab a hold of Jesus, and they start to uh, tie him up. And Peter doesn't like that. And so Peter pulls out his sword, and he goes over, and he cuts the ear off of one of the guys that was there on the other side. And then Jesus picks it up, and he puts the guy's ear back on. and says, put your sword away. Now is not the time for anything like that and Peter's like wait they're coming after you how is this not the time and he says it's not the time and so they scoop up Jesus and they haul him off and they put him on trial and they accuse him they say you have said that you are the son of God is it true and he's like yes it's true and meanwhile Peter and some of the disciples have been following the mob According to scripture, Peter was there and he could see the trial that was taking place from a distance and he was watching it. And all of a sudden, he's got to be wondering in his mind, Jesus, you're supposed to be the one I can put my trust in and you're solid, but you're, you're not defending yourself at all. I've seen your power. Why, why aren't you defending yourself at all? And, and the scripture tells us as the night goes on, and as the trial after the trial takes place, that the guards come in and they begin to whip Jesus. And they whip Jesus with this thing that's called a cat of nine tails. It was a whip and it was braided leather. And at the end, it had nine individual braided uh, cords. And in the braided cords, uh, there was a pits of bone and stone. And there was lead woven into that. And Jesus is going to be whipped. And literally, he's going to have the skin peeled off his back. It's going to be horrible. And Peter was watching, and the trial is going on. 
And all of a sudden, somebody walks up to Peter and says, you're connected to him, aren't you? You're one of his followers. Weren't you there? Weren't you one of the, in the that were there with them when we came and arrested you? You're part of him. You know, no, no, that's not me. Number one. A little bit later on, sure enough, it gets worse for Jesus as the night goes on. Somebody else walks up to Peter and says, aren't you connected to that guy? No. Not me. As the night goes on for Jesus, it gets worse and worse and worse. He's eventually turned over to Roman guards, they tell us in Scripture. When he was turned over to the Roman guards, literally the guards blindfolded Jesus and they took turns going up and punching him in the face and saying, prophesy, who is it that hit you at Jesus? And the scriptures tell us that they pulled out and plucked out his beard and that they took rods and they began to smash them onto Jesus and he was tortured and he was punished. And in the story that we learn about Peter is he was, uh, he was there standing and warming himself by a fire and this little girl comes up to him and says, you know Jesus, don't you? And the scriptures tell us he cussed her out and sent her away. Meanwhile, he looks across and Jesus is there and turns and makes eye contact with Peter. And Peter's filled with sorrow and he knew. And he was confused. How is it that this guy that I have put so much trust in is allowing this to happen to him? And they took Jesus and they put this a big a purple robe on his broken open back and they put a crown of thorns on his head and they pressed it into his skull and they laid his bare back out onto a cross and they took spikes and they drove him into his hands and into his feet and they lifted him up and they dropped the cross into a hole and Jesus was there and his body, his blood, it was bleeding out of him and he was dying on the cross and finally he dies and he breathes out his last and his body is limp on the cross and they bring a spear and they take it over and they thrust it in up under his ribs and the water that had separated from the blood in his heart spews out and he's dead, he's dead, he's dead and they pull his body off of the cross and it's limp and it's wilting and he's dead and they wrap it up in, in cloths and they take it to a grave and they put it inside of a grave and dead, nasty, stinky, dirty, blood-soaked Jesus is tucked into a tomb and they bring a giant stone and they roll it in front of it and they bring guards to guard it so that no one could get to it. And Peter must have been thinking, this guy is dead. He's dead. He's dead. And he was. And that's why I'm glad you're here. Because today is Easter. Do you know the story of Easter? The story of the resurrection. 
Mark records it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, they tell the story of the life of Jesus. And Mark, Mark is a guy that, um, uh, he writes the book of Mark. And in it, uh, he describes the events of Easter uh, morning. And, and so in order to understand that a little bit better, we need to understand uh, that Jesus was probably arrested on Thursday night. Uh, they put him on the cross on Friday, and that he was in the grave by Friday night. He was in the grave by, uh, by Friday night. And then the next day is Saturday, and that is the Sabbath day. That's the Sabbath. And maybe you remember that one of the Old, uh, in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments is, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And so on the Sabbath day, you wouldn't, you wouldn't go outside, you wouldn't do anything, you wouldn't do any kind of work, you wouldn't go to a gravesite, you wouldn't do anything like that. And so you would stay home on the Sabbath, but then the next day is going to be Sunday morning. And on Sunday morning, then you could go out and do whatever you want. And uh, in Jesus' day, it wouldn't be uncommon for people uh, to take spices and take it uh, to a gravesite and sort of anoint the body or anoint the gravesite in the same way that maybe you and I would take flowers to the cemetery today in remembrance of someone. And so Mark tells us about these things, and we read about it in the book of Mark, chapter 15, uh, 16, verses 1 through 7, says this. When the Sabbath was over, that would have been sundown on Saturday. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, that would have been Sunday morning, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes. Scripture would tell us in other gospels that this was an angel sitting at the right side. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is alive. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go and tell the disciples and Peter. The angel of the Lord just said, Go and tell the disciples and Peter. Peter, he, Jesus, is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Why does Mark record so specifically what the angel said? Why did the angel set aside the disciples and Peter? Question, look at this. Why did Mark record that the angel said to the disciples and Peter? Is it because that Peter had leaned the ladder of his life into Jesus and it had all just failed him? Is it because Peter really needed to see Jesus was alive? That trusting in Jesus is solid? Paul. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, he's a guy, he, he writes, uh, among other books, uh, he writes uh, letters to the church that is in Corinth. There was a church in the city of Corinth, and the Apostle Paul uh, writes a couple of different letters to that church. And in his first letter that he writes to, Corinth, uh, to the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians, uh, he is recording, he begins to write down the events 
the events surrounding the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He begins to write those events down, and he wants to communicate that very clearly to the church in Corinth. And so he says this in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 6. He says, For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance. There's some things here I don't want you to miss. Uh, these are not uh, peripheral matters. These are of first importance. These are first importance. He says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. For thousands of years there had been prophecies about what Jesus was going to live. He was going to die. He was going to raise again. And Paul wants them to understand that this is no uh, quirky coincidence. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to one, Peter, and then two, to the twelve, and after that he appeared to Three, more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Paul makes note that Jesus appeared to Peter. The Apostle Paul puts him first in the chronology that Jesus went to see Peter. And he appeared to Peter. Why is that so important? Well, because of John chapter 21. Are you familiar with John chapter 21? John chapter 21. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is one of the apostles, and, and he's the guy that writes the book of John. And, uh, and, and so in chapter 19 of the book of John, John meticulously uh, records the events that uh, Jesus was in fact arrested. They arrested him. They put him on trial, and they beat him senselessly. It was, it was horrible what they uh, did to him. And in chapter 19, he says uh, that uh, they, uh, they put him on the cross, and he died on the cross, and they put his uh, body into the grave, but he rose uh, from the dead. And then, do you, then, then there's chapter 21. Do you know the story in John chapter 21? The, the story in John chapter 21 is this. There was the death of Jesus. Right after the death of Jesus, uh, the disciples were all scared to death. They ran scared. They hid. They locked themselves into rooms so that and no one could find them because they didn't want to happen to them what they saw happen to Jesus. And they, and they ran and hid. And according to uh, John chapter 21, uh, the disciples made their way down to the Sea of Galilee. And, and they were, most of them were fishermen by trade. They had to have money. And so they went, they went fishing. And uh, uh, according to John, they went down to the Sea of Galilee, and and it was Peter that initiated it. Hey, guys, I'm going to go fishing, and so you guys want to go with me? And they said, yes, we'll go with you. And so they got in their boats, and they made their way out into the Sea of Galilee, and John says that they fished all night long, and they didn't catch a single fish. John's the guy that records the story. Then as the sun is coming up, and it's a little bit hazy outside... John looks over and he sees this figure that's on the, on the beach. And he hears said figure say, put your nets down on the right side of the boat. And they did. And they hadn't caught anything all night long and they put their nuts down on the right side of the boat and they reach over and they give the nets a tug and oh, a massive load of fish. John is the first one to put it together and he looks over at the seashore and he says, it is the Lord. Peter 
turns, looks, wraps himself, dives straight into the water and swims as fast as he can to the shore to see the Lord. Jesus was there. Jesus had already made him breakfast right there on the seashore. And then later on, Jesus pulls Peter aside, knowing that he would betray him or had betrayed him three times. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, I have a question for you. Do you love me? Peter is overwhelmed and he's looking into his risen Savior and he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus asks him again, do you love me? He says, you know that I love you. Jesus says, take care of my lambs, feed my sheep. He says, I'm going to ask you one more time, do you love me? As if to forgive him for that third time that he denied him. And Peter says, Lord, I love you. I love you. I care about you. I am interested in you. You are important to me. And Jesus is looking back at him and he says, feed my sheep. He's reminding him that I pulled you out of your old life, that you would become a fisher of men, that you would be salt and you would be light and you would tell people about me. And I stand here in front of you as your risen Savior. Jesus showed himself new and alive to Peter. Jesus restored Peter's hope in him because of the resurrection. Jesus showed himself to be alive and well in front of Peter. Peter placed all of his hope in his risen Savior. Listen to what Paul says. The Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17 says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. What happened to Peter? Peter grew old. For the rest of his life, he tried to tell people, give your life to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. He was living in Rome and he would write letters of encouragement to churches that were all around. And one of the things that he wrote in a book of the Bible that records it, that he wrote, is in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 3. And he, Peter said this Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us birth into not a dead hope, not a hope that is in a grave, but in a living hope that Jesus is in heaven. A living hope through, through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Write this down. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, Peter placed all of his hope in his risen Savior. Maybe you took that good advice. You worked hard and you got the good education. Maybe some of the relationships that you have are a little confusing. Maybe you're familiar with Jesus but not really sure of Jesus. And you're wondering, 
What should I do? What should I do? The action step that you need to take is to change your source of hope. Lean the ladder of your life into things that transcend this life. Of course we need a good education. The Bible would even tell you, don't be a sluggard. Work hard. Absolutely relationships are important. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's biblical. We have to have money in order to uh, provide for ourselves and to provide for our family. We have to have uh, these things, but we no longer put our hope in those things. We put our hope in something that transcends all of these things that is bigger. Easter is hope. God raised Jesus from the dead. God has the authority over life and over death. He is beyond all of these things. And this morning, millions and millions and millions and millions of people all around the world are celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Jesus Christ is the guy that split the calendar right into their history is recorded as B.C., everything that happened before the life of Christ. Christ and AD after the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ splits time in two. Jesus raised from the dead. Jesus changes lives and he wants to change your life and he wants you to put all of your hope into him. Parents, teach your kids to put their hope in Jesus. The book of John, chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son to this earth to be butchered, to be beat up, to have his blood splattered out for you. You see, we are the people that sin. We sin. We make mistakes. We do things wrong. We lie and cheat and steal. We, we're sinners. We know, that, we know that we're not perfect. And so who pays the price? Who pays the price? We deserve to be punished for our sin. But God said, I will send my son to this earth to be the punishment, to take the punishment for you. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him, put their trust in him, put their hope in him and says, thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, your hope's no longer in this world. Your hope is beyond this world. Come what may in this world, your hope is in Jesus. I don't know the condition of your heart when you came into this room, but if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, or if you are not sure, 
Here's what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that if you want to be forgiven of your sins and you want to be made right with Jesus, that you are to give your life to Jesus, say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me and forgiving me of my sins, and I accept the work that you did on the cross for me, and my desire is to be baptized into you. Baptism is symbolic. It's Easter Sunday. Baptism is symbolic. There's a baptistry right over here, and we lower the person into a watery grave, and we say, I choose to die to my own will and my own way, and I want to be raised again like Jesus was raised again to live a brand new life where now my hope is in Jesus, and I live for him, and I give my life to you, Jesus. My hope is in you. And you give your life to Christ. If you've never been baptized into Christ, that's a conversation that I would like to have with you. Just go to our website, shoot me an email. I'll give you my cell phone number right after service. I'll buy you lunch. I'll buy you dinner. We'll sit down. We'll talk about you. Say, I want to know what it means to be baptized into Christ. We'll make it happen. And if Jesus is your Savior... Spread the hope. Share the hope. If there's anything we know about our world today, it needs real hope. We have it. Let's share. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your son. Help us to live for you. We ask this in Jesus' name, and amen. Can't escape disappointment.